Couple of housekeeping. This first one is not housekeeping, but Edith Weaver is back in America. So Edith, well done, well done, well done, well done. If you didn't know, uh, she went to Tanzania for most of the summer, and she did some amazing work with uh, really foster and orphans and families and tried to help them. We're gonna get connect with her. She just got back last week, and she'll share if she wants to. I'm sure she will. And uh, uh, we were praying for her, and um, it's awesome to see you. It was a good experience. Thumbs up. I might actually use you for a second in the sermon, so hopefully you say the right answer, but we'll see. Okay. She's like, I'll say the right answer. We'll see. Another housekeeping item, women's Bible study scheduled for tomorrow evening in the sanctuary. We're going to postpone that to the next week. The reason is IB, who rents from us in the afternoon in the Spanish church, they're going to have about 80 kids here for VBS, and we just want to let them VBS and minister to 80 kids. So next week we'll postpone it one week, right, Pam? Is that the rumor? Got it right? You didn't have to yell at me? You can't yell at me on my birthday, right? Tomorrow you yell at me? Okay, very good. And last but not least, if you are good, who's good with a smartphone? You're in church, there's more, come on, who's good with a smartphone? Who's good with their smartphone? Really, nobody? Who can text? Who can answer an email on their phone? Who can turn up the volume on their iPod? <laughs> if you can, Kevin, Kim, raise your hands, my, myself too. We want to see some people who might want to push some buttons back there and get trained on audio and video sound stuff. So announcement will be coming up about that. We're going to have a workshop on a weekend coming up. Just get a few more people trained. It's really fun, actually, because you can make the subwoofer. No, we'll do it on the train. Okay. You can. But uh, if, if you're kind of into that, before I ask you that, you will be into it. Mikey Hellenius. Um, if you're kind of into that, come volunteer. Okay. So that would be good. Let me pray. And as Layla read, we're going to be in Daniel continuing our study on exile, how to live as an exile. Like, how do we do that? Is it a good thing? So let me pray and we'll get into it. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this family. Thank you for grace and mercy. Help me now to put forth the truth about your kingdom, the truth about this account almost 3,000 years ago, and the truth about your son, the true king. Thank you for life and uh, the ability to come here for a few moments as we celebrate communion shortly. Thank you for the Lord's Supper, and what that means, and be honored and worship now in Jesus' name, amen. So if you haven't been with us, or if you're just back in the country, well done, Edith. Last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the tension between living in between Jeremiah 29 and 1 John 2. Real quick, Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah wrote to the Jewish people while in exile under a pagan king, and remember what he wrote? Rebel, go to the state capitol with your signs, go on Facebook. He didn't say any of that. <laughs> he said what? Live peaceably. Get involved in that country. Be good employees. Pray and seek the welfare for Babylon because that's how the Lord will bless you in this season. That's weird, right? That's what Jeremiah the prophet wrote. But then we get to the new covenant the fulfillment of all that was promised in Christ, and we read 1 John 2.15. Kim, I think you have it. Many of us know it. I don't even just, I, do not love the world or the things of the world or its desires, right? Next verse. Father's not in you. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes of the pride and the, I'm sorry, the possessions is not from the Father, but from the what? World. Last verse, 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, 
But whoever does the will of God abides how long? So the will of God for the Jewish people in exile was to be good citizens and fear the Lord and do what was best for the land. But John comes along, the apostle of love, and says, don't love the world. So what this series is about is how do we live in that gap? How do we not love the world, but do what we're commanded to do as Christians in where? America. Real quickly, I'll reset it again. What is John getting at? Do not love the way of empire or the way of the world. What's the way of empire and the way of the world? Do not love the system in a fallen world which puts some people on top while crushing others on the bottom. That's the way of the world. That's probably the way at your job sometimes, right? That's probably the way of our culture many times, right? Listen to me. Okay, I know we have bosses, be good employees, but there's a tension, right? That's what we want to look at. So Daniel can teach us, okay? Daniel can teach us a lot about that because he was a faithful follower of Yahweh while living in exile. Layla read it, but I'll just kind of paraphrase it. Nebuchadnezzar comes to his senses. Many of you know the story in Daniel 4.34, and he looked up to heaven. Remember that. This story today, this account, is based upon a king, Nebuchadnezzar, who went insane, literally lost his mind for seven years. That's what happened. He started to look like an animal, the scriptures say. He started to eat like an animal, and he started to stink like an animal, and he literally went crazy for a time. Now, we can do one of two things in church. I know it's warm. The fans are going. We can dismiss this about some crazy fable that a king went through 3,000 years ago, or we can see it the way I think Jesus wants us to see it now, which is this. This story, this account, is a critique against the way of the world and the way of empire. So it has eternal meaning, right? Because since the world began, there's always been an empire, a top dog. They're always ha- Go read your history. It's kind of exciting sometimes. It's really bloody, by the way. It's sad. Okay? And there's always been since the fall, what? The way of the what? World. Man first. God second. People lusting, not sexually per se. We learned about that a year ago. People taking people, placing them as objects, and conquering them to get what they want. That's the way of the world. Let the Holy Spirit give you your own examples in your own life. We see it everywhere. Our country does a decent job, but we're still in danger, folks. Just because we're in America, just because we try and have a certain standard, we're still in danger of succumbing to the way of the world. Why would we be in danger of America? Let me ask you this. Does the American way have a script? It used to be called the American dream. Some sociologist says that's kind of faded out. Raising, being here in America, not everyone was born here and raised here, but I was raised here. Did America have a script for Dave Johnson 42 years ago? Yeah. And in the last 25 years, many brilliant men and women have sat sat in boardrooms to get me to follow a certain way. And this is the script of America. The pastor doesn't say it, but many non-believing, even just commentators on culture say it. This is the American script. 
Life is a competition. You are to compete to get the most things and the most fame you can. There's the American way. That's the American script. That's what's propelled at us, especially young ones, hi boys, every day. And it really started about 25 years ago on TV, right? What happens every 15 minutes on TV? Bob, you really need this car, because you're not a man unless you drive this car. <laughs> you do. Joe, you gotta buy this phone. If you don't buy this phone, you're not up on the times. TV had its moment. Now it's every three minutes if you wanna read an ad online, right? What comes at us? A flood of information. I think everyone can see it now, but Valerie's gonna have a child soon, right? So once she types that into Google, once she types for like, what are they called? What do you carry babies in now? I don't even know, but the baby carry. Once she types that once, all of her information is gonna go to the right places and she's gonna get flooded with, Valerie, if you don't buy this, you're not a good mom. That's true. And that's the script of the Western culture, right? Now things, taking care of babies, driving cars, having phones, aren't bad, but realize what's coming at us. If you don't acquire and get these things, you are not a proper human, and that is the way of the what? World. That's what we're supposed to, as believers, go, I see it. I don't think we're supposed to not have an iPhone, though, or an Android, I'll be fair. I don't think we're not supposed to use email or drive cars, but that's the tension, right? As living as exiles, because believers are exiles here, okay? So Daniel will teach us a lot about this. Nebuchadnezzar is a prime metaphor or an example. This is a critique of this worldly way. I'll say it again. The metaphor is this. When we as people do this, when we act in that way, when we don't account other human beings, but when we take and acquire and see nothing wrong with the collateral damage, we act as mindless beasts. And that's one of the reasons over and over again in Daniel and in Revelation, the way of the world and the governments in power at the time are called what? Beasts. Because they simply devour. And they don't care where they go to the bathroom. That's the analogy. That's what beasts do. You ever seen a safari? Does a lion ask to eat? No. Does the alligator say, Mr. Antelope, can I eat you? <laughs> when it's, or crocodile, whatever's in that, I might have got them wrong. No. It devours and then it does what it needs to do wherever it wants. And that's why in the scriptures we see these world powers called what? Beasts. Again, they're not real beasts. You've got to see metaphor in these writings. Otherwise, we'll get way off, okay? It's the way of the world which produces this carnality. Here we go. Daniel 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in, or prospering in my palace. You think he's the king of the largest empire in the world? One of the largest empires that's ever been known, Babylon at the time. 
I saw a dream and it made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So picture it. Nebuchadnezzar's probably up in his palace looking at his kingdom going, I'm great. Life is good. But then he had another what? Dream. He already had the dream last week of this big statue. But another dream comes. He becomes anxious. He can't sleep. Here's the Edith question. Edith, you just got back from Tanzania, right? Would you consider Tanzania a superpower in the world today? How anxious were the people? Like, how much anxiety was there? None. Not much, right? You know, by study and survey, the most anxious nation in the world, you know what it is? We are. Think about that. It's in the Bible. Like, think about that. Nebuchadnezzar is on top. He is the top dog, and he is not sleeping and being torn up because of a dream. So there's a correlation in his anxiety and restlessness with being what? Number one. What is he anxious about? We might become number two. Or three. Or heaven forbid, no medal. Four. I don't even get a bronze medal. And this is the setting in which Nebuchadnezzar is being agitated again. It's really grace, by the way. God is trying to stir his heart with grace. Trying to say, hey, hard-hearted. You are going to die. Your kingdom will not last forever. That was last week's dream. Wake up and follow me. But he's anxious, and he's the most powerful man in the world. I'll bet you the slaves in his kingdom weren't really anxious, per se. They might have wondered where their next meal was coming from. But they weren't anxious like him. They weren't losing sleep because they were so tired from what? Being oppressed, really. So we see this play out. We see Nebuchadnezzar starting to not be able to sleep. And what's the story? You know it. He has a dream. Who does he call? All the Chaldeans. All of his Babylonian wise people. And what does he say? Help. You guys remember the dream? I'll tell it to you. This is Daniel chapter 4. We're kind of paraphrasing through. We'll get to the scriptures to wrap it up in the end because it's a long story. You can go read it at home today. It's fascinating. Last time he dreamt of what? A statue. And the statue was smashed by this rock that was formed by the hand of God without hands. This week he dreams of a very tall tree reaching to the heavens, kind of like the tower of what? Babel. Kind of. Reaching up. And initially, this tree is providing shade and food for everybody. Maybe what powerful nations should try and do more, right? We're powerful, we've been blessed, let's try and help people. But then there's an audience in heaven in this dream, and this is where he gets kind of freaked out. The audience starts to notice that the fruit is being rotted away, the beasts aren't eating, the animals aren't eating properly, the birds are flying away, and they start to talk in heaven. And they start to go, this, this isn't right. And so the audience in heaven cries out to the holy one in the dream, and say, chop it down, Jack. Not Jack, but I put that in there. Ch- chop it down. Probably Yeshua at that point, right? Or Yahweh. And what happens in the dream it is it is chopped down and a little stump is left. And Nebuchadnezzar wakes up and is freaked out. Because he's already heard the prophetic dream of the statue. And everything's always fallen down in his dreams. And he's anxious. And so he summons his counselors and he goes... Here's my dream. And they go, I don't know. 
It's actually a pretty simple dream to interpret. You could do it, right? I could do it. But these people who are Babylonians, note that, who are raised in Babylon, who are raised with the Babylonian script, the Babylonian way, just like we're raised in the American way, they have no peripheral vision. They just see Babylon first, the world, who cares? <laughs> That's how they're raised. And so they go, I don't know what the dream's about. And then what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Go get Daniel. I mean, he's pretty smart. Go get him. So Daniel shows up, and he hears the dream, and he goes, oh, I got no problem, king. This is what it means. Now, why would Daniel discern that so easily? Because God's hands on him. Stop all that Sunday school stuff. Think in church. Yes, God's favor's on him. I'm not, I'm not diminishing God's favor, but you got to think. we got to get there, or we're going to miss the whole thing. Was Daniel raised in Babylon? Was Daniel raised under the Babylonian script? No. Daniel was raised in a counter script and had peripheral vision to see clearly. And Daniel goes, here's your dream, king. And I'm going to read it because it's, it's, it's like he interprets it and then he gives some counsel. Let's see the counsel. It's pretty like, it's pretty... Good. Daniel, verse, um, Daniel 4, verse 27. Therefore, O king, this is Daniel speaking, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Hear that, Facebook users, social media users. Hear that when you're trying to impart wisdom. What didn't Daniel do? Hear this, you idiot. He didn't say that. Hear this, you schmuck. He didn't say that. He basically petitioned the king with honor and respect and said, here's my advice. That's important even for us as Christians in our day and age, right? Respect and honor. Dignity. Even if you're diametrically opposed to someone you're engaging with, they're a human being. They were created in the image of God. There's innate beauty in them and us. And but for the grace of God, there I would be maybe not in the knowledge of the truth, right, the, of Christ. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Here's the counsel. Break off your sins by practicing what? Do the right thing, Spike Lee. Movie, 20 years ago. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness. What's the righteousness the king is counseled to practice? I would imagine Nebuchadnezzar was not faithful to his wife. That's my assumption. I would imagine he didn't pay his taxes. Obviously, he's the king. I would imagine he might have drank too much once in a while. I would imagine his temper got out of hand because he's the king. But Daniel says this, show mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening in your what? Treat people like human beings, king. Do the right thing, king. Before judgment comes, do the right thing and treat everyone in your kingdom like a human. That's the counsel. That's heavy, right? Maybe, king, you got a lot. Do you really need 900 billion? Could you set aside maybe 10 billion for the rest of your kingdom? I don't know the math. That's my made up. I don't know what's going on. But that's what Daniel's getting at. Treat people like human beings, 
not like property or like your slaves, okay? That's what he literally says. So that's the counsel. Daniel challenges the king to be merciful to all people. What did Jesus say in the Sermon on the Mount? Really misinterpreted passage. Be perfect just as your heavenly father is perfect. God is perfect, so we get really torqued on that. What did we learn a year and a half ago? The literal translation, be perfect in showing mercy just as your heavenly father is perfect in showing mercy. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner, but the command is clear. Over time, and with prayer, and petition, and discipline, and obedience, I can become perfect in showing mercy. Christians don't want to hear that. Why? Because that gives us a scapegoat. I'm a sinner. I can't do that. Jesus wouldn't have said it in his speech if he didn't say, come on, let me teach you. Come with me. Walk with me. I'll show you how to be more merciful every day. And Daniel's petition was, King, be merciful to these people, please. He doesn't. One full calendar year goes, he goes around the sun, Nebuchadnezzar goes around the sun, and one night he loses his mind. Literally. Gone. And he starts to roam, and you know the story probably, and he starts to live like an animal. What is the spiritual angle here? God offers repentance. They come repent, change. I'm going to send people. He does it to everybody every day. Come on, come with me. God's plea was be merciful to these people. You're in charge. Take care of those who are dying in the fields, building your things. Because to Babylon, what was the game? Collect, build, and we're number what? I'm number one. I don't care about anybody else. So God in his judgment, read between the verses, go deep with the Lord, he'll show you. He says to Nebuchadnezzar, if you want to act like a beast, you'll be a beast. Go. And Nebuchadnezzar loses his mind for seven years. Because the lie in which he was living under was, I'm the man, I'm God. I've built this whole empire. <laughs> I'll do what I want. That's a common slang phrase in people under 30. I say it too, but we're joking, right, when we say that? Because Nebuchadnezzar thought he did what he wants, but then he literally loses his mind. And so the, the spiritual truth here is Christians, American Christian, Western Christians, pastors of beautiful churches with beautiful people, don't conduct business like an animal, because that will be your end one way or the other, right? And that's to my heart, so hear that to your pastor's heart. When the king was on top, looking down on everyone, he became inhumane, and he didn't care about anything. This led to him becoming inhuman, which God placed judgment and said what? Go live like an ox for a while. <laughs> Verse 34, Layla read it, I'll read it again. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and what happened? Apparently he repented in some way. I don't know what that means, but for this story, I know what repent means. 
Repentance in its original form literally meant see reality. <laughs> what was the reality Nebuchadnezzar saw? There's a God, and it's not me. And he looked up to where? Not down on who? Other of God's creatures going, peon. Oh, yeah, uh, you're sick, you're not worth it, you can die. Oh, you're pretty good, so Wanda, so come do this. But that's the mentality of the beast, the way of the world. But when he came to his senses, when Nebuchadnezzar looked up and said, whew, there's one in heaven who lives forever. He does as he pleases. He's good. He reigns forever. And I'm not him. He regained his senses. And he actually went back, and we'll learn more about him. But Nebuchadnezzar is a hard learner. How many hard learners in church today? I'm a hard learner. God's got to pound me over the head a few times. But he's what? Gracious and merciful and kind. That's the good news. Part of the good news is our, the nature of our heavenly father. I'll read the rest. Sorry. I lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. I am blessed by the most high and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion is everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from what? Generation to generation. When we as Americans or American Christian or people living on this earth say, I'm number one and we are number one, that's insane biblically. That's what it means. When we go, we have the mandate to change the world, we're number one, get on board or get out. This story actually says that's a form of insanity because we then are trying to I'm sorry, I'll say it this way. We are trying to jump on Jesus' throne and actually say to him, Jesus wants you to serve us. Well, we go get the loot. And God actually said, because of what Jesus did on the cross, he is the one with a name that no other name bows to. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And one day in his timing, how this works, we don't really know, everybody will pay homage to him because he is the great king, Right? And when we try and live in his place, judgment will what? It'll happen. Learn from Nebuchadnezzar. I have to believe that um, Jesus knew the book of Daniel well. I don't have time to get into it. We're going to take communion. It'll be it's better than probably anything I'll say in the next five minutes, but we'll take communion. If you, if you want to know why, why do you think Jesus knew the book well? About 150 years before Jesus showed up, there was some oppression, other oppression, some things were happening, and it was a very popular scripture in the Jewish culture because they knew the story of Nebuchadnezzar and they knew the story of old and they knew the deliverance stories and they knew God's faithfulness. But Jesus, in Luke 13, he's teaching and some of the questions that were coming were, what's the kingdom like? Jesus, you keep talking about kingdom. We know about the Egyptian kingdom. That wasn't good for us. We know about the Babylonian kingdom. It was good and bad, but it, it ended, okay, we were delivered. We know about these Romans. They're not cool. What's your father's kingdom like? Luke 13, Jesus says it in a couple different ways. Luke 13, verse 18. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? 
and what shall I compare it to? Verse 19, it's like the grain of a mustard seed that a man took and sowed it in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nest in its branches. One of the reasons in Nebuchadnezzar's dream that that evil tree was chopped down and the root was left is because God would send the perfect seed, right? And his name is Jesus Christ. And by his blood and by his faithfulness unto the law and fulfilling it and by his death and by his resurrection, he would be worthy to plant the seed of the kingdom. And he simply says, the kingdom, my kingdom, comes by the spirit. It starts off real small, like tiny. You ever seen a mustard seed? It's like a needle, a head of a pin, right? And it's quiet. It's not like the trumpets and the sounding gogs of Rome. It goes house to house and church to church, and the spirit comes and does what he wants and changes lives. And people, over time, start to live the Jesus way, the kingdom way, and they walk and follow him, and they're reformed by God. And they start to love each other. And they start to go long distances and short distances to serve each other out of love and gratitude. And the kingdom spreads that way. And before you know it, there's a beautiful tree which provides fruit to the nations and refuge to the animals of the earth. And that's how his kingdom's built. Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and sometimes our world, is built on dominance and being first. Jesus taught the first shall be. If you want it, you can have first. But let me tell you my kingdom, those people will be in the back of the line. Jesus said, blessed are the poor and blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Doing the right thing. All these teachings. And that's where we see God's kingdom being unfolded quietly. Eternally, though, right? That's our hope. The reason this kingdom could enter and we are recipients, those of us who walk by faith and do our best to trust Jesus every day, is because of what happened on Calvary. Jesus went to the cross and he bore the sins of his people. Jesus rose three days later, did some amazing things the next 40 plus days on earth. Spirit came 10 days after he left and the kingdom is now exploding. Ask Miss, Miss, Miss Edith, how's the kingdom in Tanzania? It's good, right? God's doing things is what I'm saying. And we're going to celebrate that now. As the music team comes back forward, we're going to take communion. This represents the broken body of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. And it's simply a time for us to reflect and thank him for what he did. And uh, let me pray as the music team comes forward. And uh, we'll have our ushers come. Remember, we have one plate. So take, don't take your time. Don't lag but grab your bread and grab your cup and we'll spend some time singing and we'll take communion together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this, in some ways, archaic message from many years ago, but thank you that the truth is incredibly relevant for us on this side of history, living in a wonderful country, all the while trying to live and be a part of it but live apart from it too. And that's hard, Lord. Give us the wisdom and grace to live as exiles, as sojourners, as people who are trying to serve you and trying to love you, but not succumbing to the ways of the world, not succumbing to the 
superpower mentality. Bless your people. Thank you for your son's broken body and his spilled blood. And thank you for his sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen.